Let's pray. Father, it's your word. It's not ours. Lord, and it's from you that we need to hear this morning and not from a person. And so, Lord, I ask for your spirit to be powerfully present in this room, Lord, to open ears. And, Lord, there's been a, a wait, God, over this this whole week uh, regarding this passage. And so, Lord, I just ask for all of us, and myself included, to have an awareness of where you want to touch hearts and lives here this morning. And, God, I don't know what it is completely that you desire to do, but, Lord, there's an expectancy. And I pray, Lord, that we would all have it that you're going to work and you're going to do something powerful. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word and we look to you and we ask that you be the one who teaches us this morning. By the power of your spirit, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6 is where you'll be turning this morning. I encourage you to to pull out whatever Bible you use, whether that's on a, a tablet, a phone, an old school paper Bible like I love. Um, either way, you just grab a Bible and, and find Daniel 6. And as you're turning there this morning, um, I want to note this as we, we head for the sort of the middle of this chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 11 where we left off last week. But there are a lot of reasons that we think and the, way, and the reasons that we act the way that we do. Uh, there's a lot of reasons behind who we are. And, and, and some of it we'd look at and say, well, this is just my personality. That's true. I blame a lot of things on my personality. Um, but, I, but a lot of things contribute to who we become. It can be our upbringing, our education, our social culture, where we grew up. Um, the list can go on and on. And there's a lot of different factors. And I'm sure someone far smarter than me has put together a list of these and said, this is why these things matter more than these things. And I don't want to get into all that minutia right now. But as Christians... Our thoughts and subsequent actions are to be shaped by the gospel of Christ. As Christians, I'll repeat that, our thoughts and subsequent actions are to be shaped by the gospel of Christ. Our new life in Christ, the new creation that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5, this is a life that is shaped by the gospel, and that's ongoing. It's something we've talked a lot about in my home group recently. Ever-present in our hearts and minds is the awareness of our salvation from sin by the gracious offering of Jesus upon the cross for us. And we must never forget, day in and day out, and these are really quick. Let me interject into my own thing here. Let me, let me interrupt myself. This is important for us to hear. This is important for us to remember that the gospel is continuing to grow inside of our lives always. That we always need to be aware and reminding ourselves of the salvation that we've received by grace through faith, not from works so that none of us can boast. Ephesians 2, right? None of us can boast about what we've received in Christ. None of us can say that we deserved it. None of us can say that we're keeping it up or we are the one that's maintaining it. We are just responding to it and letting it grow in our lives. We're letting the gospel message and the work of Christ grow in our lives. This gospel awareness within heart and mind, it propels us to action. It's the, the, not just the fuel for the machine, it is the machine. It's the machine that's running our lives and working in and out of us and all around us. But when the gospel ceases to grow and saturate our hearts and minds, we develop a problem. We develop a problem that has a lot of fallout from it. Our worship shifts to self and we forget or forsake the emulation of Jesus, which is noted by Dr. Paul Kustra, who said this really well. Our problem is that we are a bunch of nobodies trying to be somebody while we follow a somebody who became a nobody. And that is exactly our problem. 
That's the problem that we all struggle with is that we're trying to make ourselves into somebody while we follow somebody, Jesus, who became nothing. And when he said, follow me, Jesus's example, he cries out to us and says, you follow me as I go through this, do what I do. And we're like, but that means I have to die. Oh yeah. And then some, you guys, our problem is that we're trying to be somebody when the Holy one that we follow became nobody. We've got things very backwards. And this is the part of the flesh that pushes against us all the time. And it's the part that wins out when we are not saturated in the gospel and letting that drive us and propel us to do what God has called us to do. And the reason I say that is because here in Daniel chapter six, we have a powerful example of a man who let the message and the word of God drive him rather than letting the culture around him conform him. It would be very easy for Daniel in exile to let the culture around him to conform him, to bow to the things that were going on in that culture, and yet he did not. And rather than getting caught up in the prospect of becoming the second most powerful man in Babylon, he risked death so that his relationship with God would not be hindered. He risked death so that his relationship with God would not be hindered. You guys, we know this story really well. We're in Daniel 6. You're like, oh, Daniel in the lion's den. I know this story. Of course we do. We know Daniel in the lion's den. But there's more here if we're willing to look and consider. We know this story well, but I want us to hear it with fresh ears because God has something special here for us. And so setting us up for where we are right now, following the deceptive plot by the administrators and the governors of the land who are like, that's it. This Daniel guy has gone far enough. Remember, he's in his 80s. They're not willing to wait for just time to take its, you know, course on Daniel. They're like, we need this guy out of our space now. And so they come up with this plan. The only way they're going to catch him, we talked about this last week, the only way they're going to catch Daniel is if they can find something wrong with his worship of God because they can't get anything else on him. He's blameless. He just lives upright. He's faithful. He's honest. And this is why the king trusts him. He's like, this guy's on the up and up. You know, when we're in the workplace and we're looking to bring someone up in the workplace, we're not looking, who is the most deceptive person here? I need that person with me. You know, this is the person, okay, you handle all the money. So like, we would never do that, right? You know, like we, we look for the people who are faithful, who are dependable, who are wise and who know how to carry themselves and to speak with wisdom. And so this is Daniel. That's who he is. So like the only way we're going to get Daniel is if we peg him on his worship of this Jewish God that he has brought here, let's get him there. So they hatch this plan, 30 days, right? They go to Darius, 30 days. No one can pray to or worship any other God but you. You become God for a month. I'm God for a month. And so they're like, Darius, this is a great plan for you. It'll bring the kingdom together. Everyone's going to come to you as this intermediary, and it'll be fantastic. And inside they're like, and Daniel will never, ever do this. And we got him, right? So Daniel shows his true integrity. In verse 10, after hearing about what's going on, he goes right home, closes all his windows, climbs into his bed, and prays into his pillow. Is that what your Bible says? Daniel, well, we can read it together. It's right here. When Daniel learned that the document for Darius had been signed, the 30 days had begun, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God. Notice the ending, just as he had done before business as usual for Daniel. Why? Because he's inviting attack because he's trying to cause a problem. No, 
He's in his home. He's not standing in the public square. Why the window open towards Jerusalem? We talked about that. That's First Kings chapter 8. Solomon prayed that over the temple and said, if your people are ever in exile or taken out of their land, look towards the city and repent and pray and God will bring you back. Daniel is being intentional and looking home saying, I want to go home again. It's time to go home again. And we talked about this last week as well. Daniel in exile, who was higher than him amongst the exiles from Jerusalem or from the nation of Israel? Nobody. Daniel is, I mean, obviously he's going to be number two in the entire kingdom soon. And so he's the guy that all of them are looking up to naturally because of his position. And how is he leading them? Let's pray home. Let's pray towards home. Let's repent before the Lord because we want to go back to the land that God gave us. And so he's leading by example, and that takes precedent over a position and over power that can be given to him in exile. Church, it's one of my, someone said they should make a t-shirt, said this one's for free because I say it all the time. They're probably right. I need to show this one's for free. I need it because this one's for free. Here, here's the thing. You guys think about what a picture that is for us. Are we from this place? What does Paul say about our position here? He says, you are sojourners. He says, you live like aliens on this world. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is with God. So we as exiles focus on what God has told us to do, praying towards the Lord, not out there causing a problem, but unashamedly being winsome in speech with wisdom in the times that we live in, but not compromising And we let what happens happen because the results are God's and the duty is ours to obey, right? And so this is exactly, as we look at this picture of Daniel, it's like this is an outline of how we should be living now. This is exactly as we should be living now. So Daniel prays, the administrators and the governors who hatch the scheme and trap him, they find him doing exactly what he's always done. Let's pick up in verse 11. We'll see just how wicked these guys can be. Verse 11, Daniel chapter 6 says this, Then these men, speaking of the administrators and the governors, they went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. He's still in the dark. He still don't know, doesn't know what's up here. He figures it out in verse 13. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. And as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. A very different reaction than we see from Nebuchadnezzar when he finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have disobeyed him in Daniel 3. We have a different man that we're dealing with here. We should make, or never make, excuse me, attempts to garner accusation due to our belief in Christ, and in the same breath, we must never privatize our convictions. We must never privatize our convictions in Christ. Let them be known. We aren't doing it to gain attention or to gain problems in our lives. It's not like, I am not suffering enough persecution. Hey, you, you're going to hell. (laughs) No, no, that's not how we do things, right? That's not how we do things. We approach people in a way that's winsome. But if we are standing on the truth of the gospel, some people are going to be bothered by that. And we can't let that shake us from 
from doing the right thing. David recognizes the realities of life oftentimes in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Psalm 37, verses 32 through 33 is one of these. He says, The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Who defends the righteous man? The Lord will not leave him. You know, it's like the song we're just saying, your heart won't stop coming after me. The Lord will not leave us when we stand for what's right. Now, what that situation will look like, we'll talk about later on as we close this chapter out. Our attitude is not to purposely be abrasive and arrogant about our choices to honor the Lord over men. And the second that we lord that over people, we're doing it with the wrong heart. We become pharisaical. And we don't want to be pharisaical. You know, who stands in the, in the temple and prays in such a way that, thank you, I'm not like this horrible tax collector over here, right? I'm so much better than him. That's not what we're in this for. That's not what we're doing. We recognize, as we talked about before in Ephesians 2, we are sinners saved by grace. So we look to Jesus, as always, for us Christian. When we look at the situation of Daniel, we look at the, the, the struggle that he finds himself in, we as the church now, we look to Jesus and go, how do we model ourselves? We see the example of how Daniel did it. I look to Jesus for how I should handle that situation now. Jesus is the one that we look to. And as always, we see an amazing example. As Peter recounts to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, he says this, he, speaking of Jesus, did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Did you ever think about how weird of a statement that is? That God in human flesh entrusted himself to the Father when he could have righteously done something about it. When somebody accused him, you know, we, we think of it now like, they are telling lies about me. I'm going to get them. You know, like that's our attitude. Like, they're, they're so wrong. I haven't done anything to deserve. You ever have those thoughts in your mind? I've said it out loud a lot of times. I didn't do anything. God's like, except be a filthy, rotten sinner. You need saving by grace, right? But I haven't done anything to deserve what I'm going through right now. Jesus could literally say that about his entire life and be right. And what did he do? He did not insult in return. He, When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Why? So that we would follow his example to the T. So that we would follow his example and we wouldn't have to waver in that and go, well, here Jesus really stood up and just like shoved back and righteously so. No, no. When Jesus was here, he lived as a human being just like us and showed us how to do life as a human being honoring God. And so we can follow that example to the T. And that's what we're supposed to do is emulate Christ, be conformed into the image of his son, as it says in scripture. And so this is the example that was set for us. And Daniel is in a situation where he needs to emulate God in his exile experience. We need to emulate, emulate Christ in our exile experience. This is exactly how we should be living. Letting God decide how things work out. But as far as it depends upon us, we are going to worship the Lord our God and we are going to be faithful to him. These men as a group go... 
because they know what Daniel's going to be doing. They knew that he prayed three times a day even. They even say it in the text. He prays three times a day. Now, how would you know that if you were just cruising by and you saw him praying once? Oh, it's it's a plot. Absolutely, they're entrapping him. The, all the details are coming out now. Like, well, they know how many times he prays. They knew when to catch him. They knew where his house was. They got together as a group and got some in and out first. Like, they, they're like, they're ready to go. Like, they just show in and out. Please, come on, you guys. Who's hungry? You guys, verse 14 is fascinating because we see the king's reaction to the accusation. So they bring the accusation. He seems to be in the dark a little bit like, yeah, it's in the, it's in the law. No one can change it. That's exactly what I said. And they're like, <laughs> funny you should mention that. Verse 14, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased with Daniel as Nebuchadnezzar was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, very different. He was displeased with what? These perpetrators. These plotters of evil, he looks at them as like, you got me. You fooled me. They played him as a fool. This is the moment where Darius realizes that these guys have been up to something. This flattery, all of this flattery was to achieve a goal. It was to achieve the goal of sending Daniel to the lion's den. And he makes every attempt possible, it says, for that not to happen. If there's any way possible for this not to happen, the king does it. I want you guys to understand this. This is important. The king, who is ruler of all the land, remember, he has taken over for the Babylonian kingdom. The Medo-Persians are in charge now. He is the ruler of the biggest power in the world at this point. Okay? He is powerless to save this man. The ruler of the powers of the world at this time is powerless to save Daniel from his fate. Okay, just hold that in your head for a second. I don't think Darius is stupid. I need to say that. I don't think he's stupid. I think he's foolish. There's a big difference. I don't think he's uneducated. I think he got duped. Okay, and that can happen to people. But let's learn from this example because we must be people who follow Christ and revere his saving power and recognize his ability over the ability of any human being. Can I get an amen? I'm not Pentecostal, please. Over any human being, we revere and recognize the power of God as sovereign. That happens today and yesterday and forevermore. Okay. Consider the following quote, please. And it's not going to be on the screen, Carson, so you can, you can relax. Just deep breath. There you go. Good job. We are determined as leaders of the nation to fulfill as a national government the task which has been given to us, swearing fidelity only to God, our conscience, and our people. May God Almighty take our work into his grace and give true form to our will, bless our insight, and endow us with the trust of, his, of our people. Powerful reminders, right? Adolf Hitler, 1933. What did the governors of Babylon and Hitler have in common? They plotted to commit murder. How did they do it? Deception. Deception. Do you really think that Hitler believed those words in 1933 and changed his mind? Absolutely not. If you looked at his track record, you know what kind of man he was. But you see, Hitler saw the value of telling people who were very religious and very heavily, we could get into the 
the other factors, Lutheran at that time, he even pulled up the late writings of Luther as he was a, a very uh, depressed and uh, health um, deprived man in his later days, writings that were very anti-Semitic and spread those around to the German people showing them that Luther was actually an anti-Semite. He used the power that he recognized in moving religious people against them by telling them what they wanted to hear. Telling them what they wanted to hear. They were flattered with intent to murder. Hitler was lying through his teeth. He hated the church and yet recognized that he couldn't say it plainly. May the Lord give us awareness. May the Lord give us discernment. And may the Lord give us the steadfastness of someone like Daniel in the midst of a situation when you realize that your life is going to come down to only God's ability to save. Because every now and then, a madman dupes a nation. And I'm not making any implications now. I'm just pointing out history. Every now and then, a madman dupes a nation. And if our hope is in a person and not a personal savior, we will go down with that deception. Let's put our hope in Jesus, amen? It's where it belongs. Let me be clear. I'm not picking... I am perking up, but I'm not picking at any um, any candidate. I don't want to play around with you guys and be like, what's Mike alluding to? If I wanted to say it, I'd say it, okay? If I wanted to say it, I'd just say it. What I'm saying is it's dangerous to worship men. And I think we all agree to that because we've seen it. I just want to remind you of it. Be aware. Jesus is king. It's only a matter of time. Daniel finds himself in a pretty sticky situation. Darius is trying to save him. Let's look at if he can do it in verse 15. Seems like his power is pretty inept at this point. They get together and they said to the king, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. They just want to remind the king of his own laws. You know, you're aware, right, that uh, you can't save him. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel, verse 16, threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. There's some wisdom. Because I sure can't. That's the implication. I couldn't. Maybe your God can because I'm out of my own ability. Funny, the one that was interested in all these people praying to him and, and, and coming to him with their, their requests from a higher power has no power. Interesting. Isn't it cool how God just unveils that sometimes? Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. As hard as Darius tried, he couldn't save Daniel from what seemed to be a certain fate. And this is not a timed sermon, people. I didn't plot this out. I'm just not smart enough to, to come up with this. I, you know, I looked at Daniel. I was like, I really feel like this is what we need to go through as a church as we we're coming to the close of Colossians. And I didn't even think about election season. I didn't even think about what was coming. In fact, I wasn't totally unaware of what was about to happen in Portland and Seattle and all the cities around us. And be like, I had no idea what the civil unrest that was about to explode in our country because people are filled with hate. Doesn't matter which side it is. People are filled with hate. And this is a problem. They need Jesus. 
guys, God ordained that we would be in this text. Church, the body of Christ, we are not dependent upon a king to save us from certain doom. Our world has been reeling from sin since Genesis 3. We have been reeling from the results of sin ever since. And it will continue to reel from it until the return of Christ. And the world will continue to labor and the contractions will get worse and worse. I don't know if you know this, but when a woman is about to have a baby, it's not getting easier, right? You're like, you haven't done it. All the, all the women say amen, right? You know, but I don't, I haven't been there. So I'm, I'm speaking just as a person who has witnessed it. You know, this, this doesn't get any easier. It's only going to get worse until what? The baby comes, right? And oh, the joy of that moment. Oh, the wonder of, you look like a lizard. (laughs) And then it looks okay after a little while later. But like, it's such a joyous moment because you love the lizard. You're like, only God could create something this ugly that I would love. You guys, (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. You guys think about this. What an amazing moment. What an amazing moment. All the joy and all these things. You realize that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus and we're like, we can't wait for that time. But it's not going to get easier as we get closer. It's going to get more difficult. It's going to get more tumultuous because sin is literally destroying our world. It's tearing this place apart. And I don't know what the future holds for us. I don't know as the world continues to labor what it's going to look like for us. We have some indicators in scripture and we should read those often. But I don't think it's going to get any prettier based off of those. And I do think it's going to get more difficult and maybe difficult. Ha, silly wabbit. I don't, we may be thrown to lions. We may be thrown to lions. We may be marginalized. Maybe we'll have our freedoms infringed upon. Maybe we won't have a voice in the public sphere anymore. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but we are not trusting in people to translate us to eternity. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is his work. We're just counting down the days until we get to feast. We are counting down the days until we get to that feast with Jesus, and it's done. It's finished. We're home free. I know, and like heavenly feast, I think of a lot of things. But like, it's done at that point. We're finished. We've run our race. But let us take full advantage of our freedoms that we have now. Let us speak the truth when we can freely do so. Let us vote. Let us teach others to love their neighbor by following our example. Let's be the church as freely as we possibly can because there are believers in third world countries who would just kill to have the opportunities to minister that we have every single day. They can't even speak the name. They can't even write it down on a piece of paper. Now with technology, they have to be careful about what they're saying when they communicate with people because certain words will get them monitored and then arrested. We're like, oh, technology, I love it. I can talk to my Google speaker and it'll, you know, tell me what, how much flour I need in these cookies. Yeah, it's also created a lot of problems. There are benefits, but don't forget that it's caused issues all over the world for believers who are just trying to preach the gospel truth. Because as it is with all amoral things, not immoral, amoral things, it can be used for good, but it can be used for evil as well. Remember, there's always another side to that when it's in the hands of sinners just like us. We are not here to put our hope in a human being. 
Daniel couldn't trust in anyone but God to save him at this point. This passage came to mind as I was studying for this, and I just want to share it with you. It'll be in two separate slides up here. It'll be on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking about the end, which I love it when Paul talks about the end. I always read to the, skip to the end where Paul talks about the end because I like the end. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. It's a long passage, but it's worth reading. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Whoop. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Therefore, because of that, my dear brothers and sisters, Paul speaking to us and me speaking to you, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Here's why. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you are doing for the kingdom of God is not dropping to the ground useless. God is using it. Church, some of us are laboring for the Lord right now to the point where we feel like we can't do it anymore. Some of this church have felt like they've hit the brink of being able to go any farther in their labor and they're doing it for the Lord and they're working hard. It is not in vain. Be steadfast, be immovable. Don't quit. You can quit when you're dead. You have my permission. <laughs> like, and you're like, wow, thanks Mike. We need your permission. The end, the finish line is glory. Let's push hard. Let's push hard for the finish line. Because what you are doing is not in vain. It is being noticed by God. It is for him, and he will strengthen that. And even though you feel like you don't have one drop left in you, it's right then that his power is made perfect in your weakness. Don't give up. Darius shouts to Daniel in the midst of the lion's den, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And he will. Thank you very much. And he will. Now, notice this before we get to the really cool part. And I'll speed up. The king couldn't sleep that night. It doesn't tell us how Daniel slept. Did you notice that? It was like, and Daniel stayed on guard. <laughs> you know, like up against the wall. <laughs> All night long. You're going to, good kitty. You got this, right, Angel? Yes. Okay. I'm going to, I'll help you keep watch. We don't know. Like, we don't know how that worked. Like, we, we, the, the stone goes over the top. We don't find out how things work for Daniel to Darius. is like, Daniel! You know, like, dang, Daniel. You guys, <laughs> I got one. Sorry. Joke. Um, you guys, we don't know how Daniel slept that night. It's possible that he slept really good. It's possible. I'll just submit that. It's, I don't know. I can't say I don't know. But we do know how Darius slept. Isn't that fascinating? 
Wouldn't you consider Darius to be in the safest place in Babylon at that night? I would say Darius, as the king, was probably, physically speaking, in in the eyes of, I'll say the eyes of flesh, but I don't mean the sinful sense. As a human being, you would look at that and say, Darius was in the safest place in the kingdom that night. Is that reality? No. Daniel was in the safest place in the kingdom that night because the Lord was with him. There was no safer place that evening than in the lion's den. You guys, this is where obedience to God put him. And there's no safer place to be than in obedience to God. Doesn't matter where you are. You thought exile was bad. Try the lion's den. (laughs) Like, didn't matter. Lord, you are with me there. Even though he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't have to fear it. Verse 19, first light, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. I don't know if you know this, but that was pretty unkingly of him. He must have been concerned. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. You know, really quickly, do you wonder what he expected to hear back? Daniel, did you make it? You just hear a lion licking his chops. You know, like you, you wonder what you expect to hear. He was delicious. I don't know what he expected. But Daniel speaks. Daniel speaks and says, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They haven't harmed me. Notice this. For I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have done no harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. If you're an underliner, there's a good opportunity for you. Verse 24, the king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought, thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives, they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. We'll talk about that in a second. But Daniel is saved from this situation. Daniel is saved from the situation. And as the angel came and shut their mouths, he's left unharmed. And verse 23 gives us the reason. He trusted in God for he trusted in his God. He didn't trust in Darius. He didn't trust in the law. He didn't trust in his old training when he was in Israel as a lion tamer. He trusted... (laughs) He trusted in his God. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I don't think that's in scripture anywhere. But he trusted in the Lord. And that's why he was saved. We see two powerful reminders here. Number one, the king who is supposed to be all powerful was shown a higher power. The king who was supposed to be the one that everyone looked up to realized that there's someone above him. There's someone more powerful than he is. The king was unable but God was able. And the second thing that we notice is this jealousy, deception, and murderous intent. We'll just put those all under sin. Sin leads to tragic ends and not just for those who commit them, not just for people who commit sin. This is a lesson in and of itself and very valuable. When we commit sin, when we freely unrepentantly sin, there will be collateral. There will be damage on the outside of it. It's going to affect more than just you. 
It's going to affect more than just me when I'm sinning and I'm not repenting of that sin. And I call it unrepentant sin because when we become aware of our sin and we repent, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 says. But when I am unrepentant of my sin and I'm not turning from my ways, that sin will not just affect me. We know this, right? We've seen this happen in our own lives. And here's the tragedy of this. It impacts these men and their families in terrible ways. Have you ever heard this taught? I'm, and just, just to cause you to think, you don't have to raise a hand or anything, but have you ever heard this taught where this was the victory? Where this was the victory of the moment that these families and their children went into the pit and were shredded by lions? That's not good. That's not something that God delights in. That's not something that he is joyful over. This is a sinful pagan kingdom doing what they do without an understanding of who God is. And here's how we know that. It's not just a New Testament reminder. I could show you a handful of scriptures from the New Testament that show that this is wrong, that we don't want to see people perish, but I can show you just as many Old Testament scriptures that say the same thing. That's because God's consistent and he never changes. Ezekiel chapter 18 is one example. Verse 23. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? God wants to save people, not see them destroyed. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christ. We don't rejoice when wicked people die. We mourn the fact that they didn't know Christ. And it gives us a passion and a desire to reach those who don't know him with the truth before it's too late. We want the world to see and believe that our God can save before it's too late. Let's close out this chapter. Verse 25, Darius writes, much like Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning of chapter 4, then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Without and can also be even the reign of Cyrus the Persian, depending on how it's translated. We talked about that at the beginning of the chapter. A profound lesson for Darius to learn for sure, but these aren't necessarily profound words to us as we've read them before. We've read them before spoken by Nebuchadnezzar and we've read them throughout scripture, but it's a profound lesson for someone to learn. However, Saying the right things and doing the right things are very different, yes? Worlds apart. Many people say what's right but don't live what's right. He learned something about himself, that's for sure, that he was not all-powerful. But again, we see Daniel prospering in exile. In the midst of this realization, as, as Darius is like, wow, Daniel's like, yep. Right? Was this surprising, do you think, to Daniel? It doesn't really say in the text. It, he's pretty calm. When, when the king comes and is like, what happened? He's like, I, I've been honest before God and I've been honest before you. The Lord saved me. 
Has that always been the case for all Christians throughout history? No, this is how God worked in Babylon. And a lot of people like to take things they read in the Old Testament that happen this way. Could it happen that way for us? Sure. But they want to say, see, if you do this, and if you do this, it equals this. And that's not how God's work. God works, is it? We know the Lord well enough for that. And if we are going to look at Daniel's example in exile and see ourselves in the same situation, we have to follow the areas in our lives that we can emulate, which is trust. Trust and faithfulness and being a man that is blameless in a very pagan, sick world. And then we have to do something that's very difficult. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? And I I do want us to go here together. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I don't know why. I was starting to put it into a slide and I just felt like the Lord said no. So I stopped. That's always good. When you feel like the Lord says no, you just stop. Like, I don't know why. I like to put, you know, scripture on the slides. I just feel like everyone needs to look at it. So... I'm going to do the same. It's not in my tablet, as you can see. I'm just going to read it right out of the plain old Bible. You're like, wow, this is the 1920s. Okay, so Dan, or Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 37. We'll read this together. If you're a little behind, it's okay. You can catch up with us. So verse 32 says this, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Hmm. I think we know what he's talking about. Quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. You can continue on and see there's a lot of hope for that, but my purpose has been served by looking at that passage and remembering something important. We don't know. We do not know what the result of this life will be for us. The question is, will we be immovable? Will we be steadfast regardless because we've entrusted ourselves to a God who is good? Because we have entrusted ourselves to one who will translate us into his heavenly kingdom. God calls some to win by living. Others are called to win by dying. And so, the truth of it is this. Obedience is the victory. It's kind of been the theme for Daniel chapter 6. Obedience is the victory. It's not the result. It's doing what God has asked us to do and entrusting those results to him. But if we look at it that way, we don't get caught up in this idea that we can just emulate Daniel's life and achieve lion immunity. Right? That's, That's a foolish thing to think. We should look at that and go, praise God for that. We should look at the prophet Isaiah who was sawn in two and say, praise God for that as well. A horrible thing to experience. But after all, we weren't called to follow a Savior who lived a full 85 years and died peacefully in his bed. We were called to follow a Savior who gave himself into the hands of men, was nailed to a cross after being beaten to a pulp, and died there for the sins of the world, torturously suffering for our sake. That is the God we serve. That is the God who says, follow after me. 
And so church of 2020 got up. We all work to do. This world cannot take one more teaspoon of soft serve Christianity. This is not the calling of pastors. This is our calling together. Lord, instill these truths into my heart. I pray, Lord, that we would see the top level on the scale of love is sacrifice. Lord, we we look at what love actually is, and, and a lot of times we get caught up with what the world's doing. But, Lord, you showed us that true love and ultimate expression of love is sacrifice, willingness to lay a life down. And so it's no wonder, God, why we, we are just in awe of you, in awe of what you've done for us, in awe of what you can do. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't limit what you desire to do in our lives by disbelief, by lack of faith. Rattle us to the core. Lord, don't allow us to to have a pretense of self-righteousness, of having it all together. We are so about production sometimes, especially in this day and age where if we don't look sharp and sound sharp, that, that we aren't really going to be heard. But Lord, you called us to be a servant. And you said that to the disciples as they were arguing at the table at the Last Supper about who was the greatest. We laugh at them, Lord, but we have the same conversation in our own minds or amongst ourselves as we talk about how much better we are. Lord, you looked at them and said, these are the things that the Gentiles worry about. He said, but I am among you as one who serves. And Jesus, you had just washed their feet that night. So make us like that. Mold us into that. Humble us, Lord, and minister to us as we worship you.